Hey, it's your girl, Chanae Ogwamake. And I am Lisa Leslie, and this is Front and Center. We do it with our own little flavor, right? We do it with our own little seasoning, right, Lisa? Well, you know I'm seasoning, and you are what? Flavor. So we will be what? Front, Front and, and Center. center. <laughs> Lise, how was your week so far? <laughs> I like the way you say my name. Please. Um, you know what, Janae? This week was pretty good. I actually am really happy because I got to do two things that I really love doing. I love, love, love working out. And I went back into the gym, even though I had on a mask. And we have a, this private gym that I go to. So it's not like it's, you can have a private trainer, but still, uh, my son has a private trainer there. So I get a chance at 7 a.m. when no one else is in there to work out. I'm so excited to be back, just like lifting weights and oh, all those good things that make our body feel strong. And then playing tennis. That's my other favorite thing. So I got a chance to work out three times a week, come back on that schedule and playing tennis twice a week. I am in heaven when it comes to working out. How's your tennis That's my game? favorite. Well, I'm actually division two. So the highest division is one. And then there's pros, of course, and people who play for real money. So I'm division two. I'm decent. You know, I can hold my own, but I'm no Venus Williams still. Uh, <laughs> although I try to hone my Venus Williams skills, you know, being this tall at 6'5", she's 6'2", but yeah, not happening. So how was your week? What was going on? It was good. It was good. I had a plan for some birthdays. The little sis, the baby, Erica. Erica's birthday. She just had her birthday. And so the theme of the birthday was Love Island. So have you heard of that show? Yeah, you love that show. I've never watched it. Okay, so when the worst thing ever happened in our playoffs where we got swept by the Connecticut Sun, the way I kept my mind off of it was by watching Love Island every second of the day. Mm -hmm. And it was like amazing. And so I put my sisters onto it. I actually got referred by Liz Cambay. She was like, you have to watch Love Island. I picked the UK version, which was like the best version. And so I passed it on to my sisters. And so for her birthday, she just had her 23rd birthday. It was a Love Island themed birthday. So a couple of her and her friends, they went to a villa, like an Airbnb. And like they had the water bottles and like, you know, so they had a very nice socially distant appropriate birthday. And then on top of that, Mm -hmm. my work husband, Mike Golick Jr.'s birthday was also um, recent. Oh, nice. What'd you do for him? First of all, it's funny because like work husband, the way to a man's heart, I'm learning is through their stomach. And yeah, so I was like, you just Easy. got that? Huh? Like, have I not taught you better? You already know that. Yes. Food. Yes. Food. Yes. So it's I was really, like, okay. It's really not the WAP. You know, it's food. <laughs> it's, it's not the WAP. It's food. <laughs> I can't. Then the WAP. No, I'm just kidding. It, it's, it's hope. Hand, you know, you just got to pick, right. got to read, read the defense. You got to read the right. defense. Right. But also like, he loves food more than most people. And so it was easy. I got him like an ice cream cake, some Chipotle. And then what else? Oh, yeah, some donuts. And so he was nice. thrilled. So it was a birthday type of celebration. Yeah, that's awesome. So, you know, I, I can't help but think about um, all the different things we talk about. Movies is one of them. So Michael and I, we had we tried to do a babe night since we put the kids in a different room so they could watch whatever they wanted. Because I'm so tired of watching Disney Plus and watching... Um, any movie that has to do with the dog, that's what my daughter wants to watch. So we oh, let them do their own movie. Oh my God. Everything with a dog. We've seen like, she's read every book that has a dog in it. Oh, we watched every movie that has a dog. So Michael and I tried to do movie night. We watched, get this. Have you heard of Lovecraft County? Lovecraft Country. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Lovecraft Country. So we tried to do movie night and watch Lovecraft Country. How was it? 
So here's the deal. I didn't know anything about it other than I heard people talking about like, it's good, right? So we sit down to watch first episode. It's, it's good. You know, we're, you know, my husband's always like, hey, what is what's happening? There's so a lot I'm, going on in it. I love movies that have a lot going on because I can figure it all out, right? So I'm like solving what's going on. But then here's the catcher. Lovecraft Country got a little weird on me with the sci-fi stuff popping out the tree. I don't know. Like Game of Thrones, there was sci-fi, right? But the way they mixed it in, you like could believe that there were White Walkers on the other side and of dragons. that wall. And dragons could exist because Mother of Dragons, right? They just sprang these little like vampire monsters out of the trees. And I was like, done. <laughs> that I've heard like of that type of stuff. So it's sort of giving me a little pause. I probably will get to it. But I actually watched The Good Fight. I love The Good Fight. The Good Fight. What's Have you heard of The Good Wife? Of... Yes, I heard of The Good Wife. What's The it's Good Fight? It's a spinoff with Diane. And it's about Diane and her after the whole Alicia Florix stuff. So it's oh. so good. I'm obsessed with the show. Would you see that on Netflix? It is not on Netflix. It's one of those like CBS that you actually have to go and like pay. It's not like you might have the subscription. It's on CBS All Access. But hey, oh, we stand it. for CBS here on this pod, right? Yes, Lisa, we do. We need to talk. Yes, we do, because we need to talk. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. I like it, sis. Yes, we do stand for CBS All Access. So I got to figure that out. I haven't seen that one yet. Watch good, it. Good, it's amazing. Good. Like, I watched the whole season in one day. Facts. So today, I'm really excited because we're going to have our topic of the day, which is success and failures. And guess who we're going to be talking to? Ooh. The, the T.O., are we talking to T.O. are we talking to Terrell? Because I feel like we're going to talk to Terrell, the real guy that everyone should know. Well, that's the friend I know. The guy that I know is Terrell Owens, and I know that most of the public knows him as T.O. We're going to get into it when we get back. Okay, so this week, I thought it was really important for us to talk about success and failure. Obviously, we know our generation of grab, um, seasoning, and your who? Flavor. New flavor. We're bringing the flavor. So with our generational gap, though, seriously, Janae, I look at the fact that success and failure, I've had enough, both professionally and personally, to grow from, to learn from. And these are the types of things that I share with you. But even at your young age, you know, you have success and failures that we could share and learn from other people. So I thought it was important first to just look at our success and failure, how I've been able to fix some stuff from some roadblocks and mistakes that I've had that I would like to share. And, um, you know, even professionally, but also the success, you know, the highs have been really high. And so Sometimes we don't realize how important it is really to embrace our failures and to know and stay positive and get back up because a brighter day is coming. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when you think about success and failure, we try to sometimes lump them into one thing, like it's all happening to me. But there is personal success that shouldn't impact your professional success. And there should be professional success that doesn't impact you're personal. You know, these things aren't just one thing that represent you. They yeah. can be segmented, you know, and I think that's the hardest thing, distinguishing something that happens to you as one or the other. 
And I think we've seen all spectrums of it, whether it comes to success or whether it comes to failure. And in my generation, I feel like it's even more amplified now because of social media, because of the 24 hour news cycle, you can literally get updates and you have so many people that can criticize you. There's no barriers to that anymore. And that makes it such an important time, you know, especially when it comes to mental health, because we're dealing with these new realities. And another reason why I'm really excited to talk about this, Lisa, is because a lot of people probably perceive us as people that have found a lot of success, right? But the reality is we didn't get there without probably failing more. Like we've missed more shots than we made. Actually, probably not. Like I feel feel like our field goal averages are both above 50. (laughs) But still, the idea is that in order to get ourselves to a position where we can shoot the ball like that, we had to fail. We had to learn how to shoot and we had to be comfortable missing. And a lot of times, you know, it's easy for us to reconcile with that because as athletes, failure is just part of it. You're supposed to focus on the next possession. And so we didn't think personally of what happened to us professionally. And sometimes I think when failure happens, it's hard for us, especially now with social media, we just lump it all and like, man, you stink or I stink in this. Mm -hmm. But there really are opportunities for growth here. And when you think about also the call for so much mental health, I do feel like dealing with success and failure privately is a lot different than dealing with it publicly and also processing this success and failure in front of people, like you said, with social media really magnifies it. The last part of that is the whole comparison, right? People are constantly comparing themselves to other people, whether it's real or not through social media, what it looks like may not always be what it is, but all of that can lead to a lot of anxiety for people. But as we get into it, you know, I think talking about it, opening up about it, some things I've probably never said and told anybody else, we're going to talk about it right here. Lisa, what would you consider to be your greatest personal success? To be really candid, I think being saved, being baptized, that was really important to me. That is probably my biggest success because I feel like, you know, as a believer, deciding and making that choice to follow Christ and to try to surrender to sin daily, that's probably my biggest personal success. I was baptized my sophomore year in college. Yes. That is a time to be baptized. Yes. When uh, you're on campus and there's (laughs) so much temptation around you, you don't have your parents in the house in the other room. Mm -hmm. How did you get to that point? I've always loved the Lord really since I was like seven years old. And I just believe that being so different, being tall, my gosh, growing to 6'5", having size 12 feet, you know, when you're 12 years old, like there was so many things that was just saddening to me that, you know, not having a father, that was another thing. You know, there was like all these things that were like, how do you make it through? And it just feeling like, okay, God, Jesus is going to be my father. Like I've just decided like that was so much more comforting to me, really. And I found that believing and having that faith is really what kept me from being like, oh, woe is me and using my experience, using my circumstance, if you will, as an excuse to fail. Instead, I just relied on the Lord and having faith and just trying to stay positive and thinking that it's all going to work out if I'm just prayerful and if I just stay committed, you know, but then I think the opposite of that is the failures of when you don't. It is the sins that really haunt you. It is the, 
sex before marriage. You know, it is the boyfriend that I let move into my house without being married. You know, when your parents tell you, you know, you don't don't give them the cow and the milk and everything. But through that failure of it was a bad idea. And part of that repenting is to turn away from that and to recognize that that was my choice, not God's choice. You know, and I think as you mature, you start to realize when we make choices, God makes alterations to those choices. It's not going to work out anyway, because that's not what was in the plan for you. And so it's exciting. And also in being really honest about just making decisions that really aren't in your best interest. And we try to force those decisions. Oh, Lord, we try to force it and make it work when you know from day one, that's not what's for you. And so I think my failures through relationships really had to happen because I finally got to a point, Janae, and this is kind of deep, but I was like, I'm not dating no more. Like I was really done. What age was this? I stopped dating at 30. I was just done with the games. I was done with trying to be in these relationships. I've been proposed to three times. And I say yes, all three times. Luckily, the third one was my husband. Yeah. And just being in these relationships, I think I never really took time. They were all like five, I think five years, five years in college, five years out of college, another five years. Like, yeah, it's just, and that could be probably if you had a therapist tell me, probably related to not having a father, you know, it could be. It could be. I don't know. Yeah. How do you feel like, you know, fatherhood impacted your confidence and also how you viewed yourself as you were growing up? You know, especially getting to that point where you made the decision to bring in a new relationship where you got baptized in college. I think just here's the other thing. The other piece is that you think that when I'm in this relationships, I'm trying to bring people to Jesus, too, now. You know what I mean? Like, oh, we we going to church. Like, I'm bringing you along. But the thing is, is it's not my job to prepare you for the Father. You have to have your own relationship. And that's the beauty of being a Christian, right? So I learned through that, through my failures, that when I finally stopped dating and I was like, okay, I'm done. What do I want? What do I need? I started writing down, what do I want in a man? What do I want him to be? What do I want to do? Until this man comes to get me, this is what I'm going to do. And let's go back to success. I'm going to go back to school and get my master's. I'm going to continue to focus on everything, the WNBA. So now I'm writing down these goals. I started winning championships. Like I put the focus on me. And when I did that. Yes. Tell me about your greatest success when you did that. My greatest success is championships, just winning. You know, I've always been a winner. I mean, as far as sports goes, like I've always been on winning teams. I love my teammates. I work hard. I'm a good teammate. I try to make everybody around me better. That was my comfort, being on the court, getting shots up, being competitive, blocking shots. You know, like I love basketball. But I just learned that through the failure of relationships, I just learned to love myself, learn to start back with myself and figure out who am I? Who do I want to be as I mature and start to make money? And that's how I started investing in real estate. And figuring out how do I make myself happy every day? Because a lot of times in relationships, we look for other people to make us happy. And so once I kind of got the answers to those questions, that helped me. So my biggest advice is the road to success was through those failures in relationships, my sports failures of not winning a college championship, you know, my sports failure of not winning the three-peat 
in high school. We won two championships, but not the third one. Lost the third one because I missed the game-winning shot. My failure of not winning a three-peat in the WNBA. We won two championships back-to-back and lost the third championship. Those are things that, oh, my God, always break your heart and stay with you, those losses, you know? So I think overall, just dealing with failure is part of what makes me so strong, so mentally strong to deal with, hell, COVID today. Just being mentally tough is because of what we've been through in life on the court and off. You know what's funny? Your failures, like I would consider my successes, like shoot, two championships, like all that stuff. I would consider them my personal successes because I haven't had a championship on the professional level. And I think that that, you know, when I think about my professional success, like, yes, Mm -hmm. I was drafted number one and have had great years, but I've also had really tough injuries. Yes. You know, just thinking about what could have been like when I got injured the second time I was in China and I was playing my best game ever. I was hitting threes. Our team, which was not even qualified uh, the year before to play in this Chinese basketball league, we were undefeated. Like I felt like the world was my oyster and then the injury happens. Would you say that injury is your biggest failure in sports? I wouldn't just because you can't control it. You know, like I was giving my all, like people know me, like I go overboard for everyone that I love, like my family, my teammates, shoot my work husband now, like everybody, like I go overboard just because, yeah. (laughs) At least you go overboard for me, honestly. You really do. You really have. But I would say that, like, the hardest thing for me to process was just making peace with I'm giving my all and that may not amount in a championship on the floor. You know, Mm -hmm. like, looking back, you know, that was the hardest thing for me. Like, now I know that that mindset is going to, when I step on the court again, carry me to a championship because I'm immensely grateful and I know what it is to be without. And so, Mm -hmm. like, that feeling of even though you've achieved so much being a number one pick and like having all-star seasons, knowing that all of that hasn't amounted in what you wanted just keeps you more motivated to like get to where I want to be. But I also struggle though with the professional aspect because like I know my body, my body has been banged up, but it's also like I protect it at all costs now. There are a lot of people that probably don't understand why I sit in front of mics, right? Like that's because I've realized that I'm not built to play 24-7. But having to tune out the noise of people thinking that, oh, she cares more about one thing or the other. Why can't we care equally about both, you know? Mm -hmm. And so letting myself understand that I can be both the best player, the best broadcaster, the best sister, because I feel like as women, we feel like our energy, we have to like every day, like put, you know, that like thing, the TikTok, like you got to put how much water in, like how much water you got in the tank for all these different things that we hold down. And I think I've realized that the water is limitless, you know, like Mm -hmm. for so long, I feel like we've been told to do just one or two things and that's all you're good for. But really like it's limitless. Like we're in a world with possibilities because we're still, you know, breaking barriers. So I think that's been the hardest mental dilemma, like being at peace with what is not what could be and letting that move me forward. And that's been the hardest thing, I guess. And that's where it's like emerge professionally. Like I can't personally get feelings about something that I am out of control professionally. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and I feel like that's something a lot of people need to understand. Like, why am I denied X, Y, or Z, you know, based on X, Y, or Z? It's more so I put myself in a position to be as good as I can. And it's on other people to either recognize it or not. And that's 
your problem. Like, I know I came with my best self every day and gave my all to everything that I could, you know? Well, I think you're talking about being judged, right? Like, I think being judged, that part didn't matter to me as much because I know my own heart, you know what I mean? And I know whose heart I'm after, if that makes sense. And so even in moments where you know that you failed or you haven't been your best, I mean, you got to get back up. You got to get back into your word because you got to keep your priorities focused on what it is that you want to do. And you have to seek your true happiness, not fake happiness for other people. You personally are doing an amazing job at two jobs. I don't think the outside noise should bother you because you also are being a successful broadcaster and having an opportunity to be on television and be the first Black woman on ESPN on the radio. Like, those are all winning. No one may not bring you a trophy and say, oh, Janae, you won. But that's an amazing accomplishment in history, in the history books. You understand? So that is success. And don't let anybody else tell you differently. We don't have to fit into someone's box about what it is that you're supposed to do. Yeah. We do not fit, literally and figuratively. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) But that's exactly what I realized. Like, through my injuries, I didn't see it as, like, a professional failure. Because I knew, I always, like, the way I go about it is I always tell people, I was like, when I play, what will keep me up at night after the game, even if we won, is knowing that on one or two possessions, I didn't give my all. Like, I'm thinking mm-hmm. about that missed layup, me not sprinting back, you know, and getting that side eye from my teammates. And that mindset has sort of shifted my whole perspective. As long as I do my best, I come prepared and I give my all, mm-hmm. anything that else happens is, you know, part of God's plan. Mm-hmm. And so this injury, I'll never forget. So the first time I got injured, I was shocked, but I came off an all-star year, my rookie year. I was like, cool. Like I can bounce back. This is the first setback. Right. And then the second time I got injured, I was really concerned. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, man, will I be as good? Like this is two times, like two times in three and a half years. And I remember I told myself, okay, Shanae, like I was by myself on the road in China, had to take a train back to my home city see Mm -hmm. the doctors there, figure out that it was my Achilles. Then within 24 hours, had to get back home to the States direct. It was like on top of the world to bam. And I realized like, look, you were giving your all, like this was out of your control. This is another setback and I'm going to be fine. And I told myself those 24 hours when I was figuring out what I was going to do and what was going on, I was like, look, I'm going to allow myself to be sad for 24 hours. Mm -hmm. But once I touch base back in the U.S., you're going to put right. a smile, you're healing, you're recovered, you got this. And shout out to my mama, and you knew about it, and my sister, who hooked up like the flight within 24 hours. They had the doctors on standby, and these are the greatest doctors, like back yeah. home in Houston, the doctors of the Rockets and the Texans. And they heard about it because they knew this was my second injury, and I got to know them. And they like literally cleared their day so that once I landed, I saw them, and within 24 hours, so like pretty much 72 hours. Yeah. I had my surgery and I mentally was like, okay, I'm on the road to recovery. Like yeah. I had my moments of feeling sad from the failure, mm-hmm. knowing that the light was going to come and I wouldn't let that carry forward, you know? And so like, I sort of shifted in that, like acknowledging when things go wrong, but also understanding that like, you're trying your best to put your best self out there and letting the rest just sort of take its own control. That's sort of how I made it through. So it was shifting perception from like, this is me personally failing to this is just a setback that's teaching me how to win. And I never knew that those injuries would create these opportunities for me. You know, like knowing I can't go overseas, 
all right, girl, you got to hustle. Like you got to grind. You yeah. got to say yes to every opportunity. And it put me in a seat where you mentioned least like to make history. Like, and you know, I always tell people this, it's kind of funny when I was injured, I would sit home and every, you know, my mom, I was at home in Houston, my mom and my yeah. dad and my baby sister who just had the birthday. So I'm like laid up in my bed at home, can't move, can't walk, had to figure out like how to get my, get to the fridge. Like getting to the fridge and back was like the challenge for me. Not the bathroom, the fridge. No, nah, the bathroom, <laughs> I could just crawl all the way there, but like to the fridge, like you girls hungry. So I was like, all right, how am I going to do it? Like timing my crutch swing so I can hold the tray and crutch. Like that was my day-to-day challenges. But like those things, like I just mentally was like, no negativity. I was like, look, I'm going to be so proud once I get this tray with this food sitting down. But I say all of this just to say, like, when I was going through those tough times where I was immobilized, I used to watch in the morning the news. And then I'd watch Stephen A. on First Take and Max Kellerman. I was like, man, you know, I love sports. These guys are great. Like, so fun. And I never knew that through that tough moment by staying positive and also shifting my mindset that within a year later, I'd be on that show debating. Like that whole full circle of just not letting the professional stuff hit my personal so much that it debilitated me from Mm -hmm. even like stepping into what I could be. And that's where I found true happiness. Like knowing that happiness is in the little things and little things like me crutching and making my plate or FaceTiming you and you showing me, you know, latest with Lauren or MJ (laughs) or something like that, you know, like, that's where I found my happiness. And I learned it's not in people, it's in yourself. And like having you there, Lise, you saw me after my injuries and you're like, girl, I ain't worried about you. Like just having people like that in my inner inner circle. So like when you say people judging you, I learned through that, like other people's opinions don't matter. It's the people that are here to ride for you in those moments that you trust. And they may not be the people you expect, but those people end up like your family to me. So I don't, you know, you've been there. You've been but listen, to- you know, I always say the same. I used to say it even when I played, because when you're in a game and you're winning or in life, when you're winning, when you're being successful and everything is going good, you're cool. But who are you during tough times? That is the key, right? And you were in the toughest of times because being injured, someone could be in an accident, Who are you during those times? And I think it's that place that you go mentally to decide who you're going to be, how you're going to react. So I love that because at your lowest point, it really revealed who you are and you saw an opportunity and see that opportunity happened in the valley, if you will, right? While you were down, but keeping the faith and being optimistic. And I think across the board, you will hear especially from athletes, probably more or people who are really in the business. One thing that separates us from a lot of people is our mindsets. It's the fact that we can fail and we have failures personally and professionally, but it's not that we plan to stay there. It's the fact that we're able to get back up, persevere, continue to set goals and strive for them. Listen, this has been awesome because I love the fact we've been able to open up a little bit more and share about our success and failures. Coming up next, we have a special guest who will also share his success and failures. And yes, we're talking about the Terrell Owens. The matters because it's important. That's how we introduce it. That's right. AKA T.O. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
Well, today we have a very special guest. He's been regarded as one of the greatest offensive talents that the NFL has ever seen. Don't forget to get the popcorn for this. He's had over 16 seasons in the NFL. He's played for San Francisco 49ers, the Philadelphia Eagles, the Dallas Cowboys, and the Cincinnati Bengals. And he's one of the most decorated wide receivers in NFL history by putting up, what was it, 15,934, not that you're counting, but we're counting yeah. for you, <laughs> receiving yards with an outstanding 153 touchdowns to your name. You are a six-time Pro Bowler, a five-time All-Pro, and you were inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame just two years ago. Welcome, Terrell Owens, better known, a.k.a. T.O., but you know to me, I've always called you Terrell, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I appreciate you guys having me. Well, as you know, you and I go way back. I think we met when you were playing for the 49ers, yeah, if I'm not yeah. correct, in San Francisco at a fashion show, you yeah. and I yeah, yeah. <laughs> were modeling in San Francisco where we met and have had a very awesome relationship ever since. You're a wonderful person. You know, I know you more as Terrell, way more than I know as T.O., yeah, even though it. I have had a front row seat <laughs> inviting me to several of your games. Right. Literally. <laughs> yeah, literally. Literally. Front row seat. Yeah. A front row seat. But um, brother, I really appreciate you joining us. We wanted to talk to you today a lot about success and failures. But before we get into that, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm just, uh, you know, just uh, trying to deal and cope with everything that's going on, just dealing with it day by day, week by week, month by month. But other than that, you know, just grinding, you know, trying to keep myself in a little bit of uh, shape so I can stay active, running around <laughs> a little bit, you know. Um, a little shape? Yeah, just a little bit, just a little bit, <laughs> just in case I get called out or, you know, somebody, you know, want to challenge me or something. So, you know. Yeah. Wait, I, I have to hear about this fashion show. Like, I didn't know that's how you guys met. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You remember mm -hmm. the details? I don't know the details, but I knew it was some fashion show in San Francisco, up in San mm -hmm. Francisco. Honestly, it may have been like one of the first times I've ever done a fashion show. The 49ers had me involved in it somehow. Uh, it was a big charity event or what have you. And yeah, that's where I ended up meeting Lisa, like backstage somewhere. Yeah. Did you come to get an autograph? Um, yeah. Well, you know, I did. <laughs> I did. Yeah. 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 Me knowing Lisa. And understanding her accomplishments at that time, like I was kind of in awe because I was a young buck at that time. So mm -hmm. being in San Francisco playing for the 49ers, obviously my first few years, um, that was kind of like my first introduction as far as meeting superstars, to be honest. Um, so I consider Lisa a superstar because I've said you watch her on you know, play on TV, things of that nature. And I, you can't miss her. So, again, okay. <laughs> you can't miss her. So, yeah, she was a superstar to me. Yeah. But, you know, Terrell, um, over the years, we've had a chance to talk, real talk, aside from the fact that we played sports, just about life, yeah. about success and failures, about families. You right. know, we've been able to have some really deep conversations, which, you know me, beyond sports, I am a person who loves intellect and having conversations to get the chance to know one another. And so you and I have shared a lot of stories. First, just even going back to when you were younger, mm -hmm. I know, you know, the details of, you know, with your family and your, your mom and your grandma raising you. And yeah. I, mean, I had a chance of the pleasure and honor of meeting your grandma and your mom and family. Yeah. How has uh, the impact of just your family in general, how has that played a part in some of the things and decisions you've made in, in regards to success and failure in your life? Um, a tremendous impact. Uh, you, you, when you think of especially where we are in this country today and you think about just black men in general and as a black mm -hmm. race. And so everything that's happening now has touched me uh, in a way 
and affected me in a way to make me kind of wake up and grow up and really kind of just be a father and then just be a, just a black man in the midst of what's going on. And so now I have kids. And so when you think about what's going on with the police brutality, the social, the racial inequality and things of that nature. I think back to my grandmother because my grandmother raised me. And so everything that's going on now, when my grandmother, as I grew up, sitting around the house, listening to her talk to some of her friends on the phone, talking about how she was raised in uh, segregation, all those things that we as a Black race have gone through, she went through some of those things. And so she shaped me to be the person that I am. And a lot of people, they only know the football persona side of me. When you talk about what I had to endure, and there are some things where I saw or I felt like I was being treated a certain way, mm -hmm. noticing that coaches treated me as a black athlete different than white athletes. I knew what it was, but I, I didn't I didn't say anything because I was so I guess I can say I was raised so strong minded to where I didn't allow that to fester or manifest in me to really prevent me or deter me from being successful and producing on the football field. I was very aware of what I was doing and who I was. You think about the shaping and the impact that my grandmother made, she made a great impact because I wouldn't be the person that I am today, understanding that I never had a father figure in the household. My father lived right across the street from my grandmother, and I didn't know who he was until uh, right, out, right before I was uh, 13. Those are some of the things that I had to grow up um, dealing with. Uh, I never spoke about it uh, publicly. I think I wrote a book, and I think that's when everybody started to realize kind of a little bit of my upbringing. But again, I didn't allow that to create such a challenge for me that I wasn't able to go out and perform and be the athlete that I became. Terrell, you know, what's really interesting is the first encounter I've had with you was probably through ESPN radio. You are one of our favorite callers. And so I was probably hosting and you you have such a huge passion for basketball. Yeah. And you came on and I was like, after that segment, I was like, man, he's just such a giving person. Like he gives his time, he gives his energy, he gives his opinion. You're going to get that. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, I think that's so interesting because when it comes to life, life is all about give and take. And we're mm -hmm. all three athletes here and we've just been conditioned to give our all. And you sort of learn things through the process. Mm -hmm. And so I was just wondering what was something, you know, an encounter you've had, an experience you've had where you you sort of hit rock bottom. Like we've all had those moments where you're like, oh snap, I've got to get up and keep going. But like, you didn't know if that day was coming. What would you consider your biggest failure? Because we learn from those experiences. I think just realizing that as black athletes, um, a lot of us, we don't grow up with a mom and a dad in the household where you're being raised and taught about money and learn how to manage that. So for me, I definitely was a fish out of water because I had no idea that I would play even beyond the collegiate level. And so once I got into the league and then you have to, you know, you have to hire, hire an agent and then obviously financial advisors and things of that nature. And so uh, it's well documented. Um, I had an agent after my first agent going into um, my ninth year, going playing with the Philadelphia Eagles. I acquired uh, Drew Rosenhaus as an agent. And, and obviously, like I said, switching agents, I had to switch financial advisors and they recommended some financial advisors. And then three years later, realized that they had basically taking financially advantage of my situation. That in itself was a hard pill to swallow because I had worked so hard, uh, number one, for my family. My grandmother, she was diagnosed with uh, dementia in 96 and it progressed into Alzheimer's. 
she never really fully understood what I became. She never understood the player that I became on the football field. And she was my motivation. And so everything that I had worked hard for up until that point, she had no earthly idea. You know, obviously she passed in 2012, um, but everything that I did, I did for my family. And so when you have agents and they realized the talents uh, of a lot of these black athletes and they're looking out for themselves. That was kind of like the, the hard pill to swallow is that it's their responsibility to help you along the way because they sit and they talk to your parents and they vow to them like, oh, we're going to take care of your son. We're going to take care of your daughter. We're going to look out for them. And as athletes, our main focus is to be the best athletes and condition ourselves to be the best athletes we can be. And that's really where our focus is. And nowadays, I think with so many instances like myself and there's others prior and there's going to be others after me where these athletes have to take control of their situation and not allow agents, financial advisors to 100 percent control their financial mm -hmm. situation, their, their portfolio. And so that was kind of the rock bottom for me, uh, understanding when I looked up and I knew that I had I, I knew the amount of money that I had made throughout those 10, 11 years and then to get the news that, you know, your money is missing and now you're having to kind of just hire people to kind of figure out where it went, that makes you want to hurt somebody. And so mm -hmm. um, I'm not that type of guy, but for me, it's a slap into my family's face because that's who I worked hard for. And for them to sit and say and talk to my family and tell me, okay, we're going to take care of your son. We're going to make sure it's okay, blah, 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 blah. And then that doesn't happen. It's, it's a hard that's pill to swallow. So Terrell, and, and, you know, I know as an athlete, I was very blessed to have my uncle who was a CPA and have my money managed by family that I could trust right. and investments. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talk about all this stuff, real estate and right. being a real estate agent and investing. Yeah. Um, so I remember those times that you were going through this. What did you do immediately after when you feel that you're at a point of failure? How do you get back up? Like, what's your first steps to get out of that? Fortunately for me, the career that I had established for myself, and, and now I'm a Hall of Famer, that has enabled me to financially support myself. But I have to think about what if I wasn't the player that I was on the football field, then I would be struggling. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm very fortunate in that aspect. As Black men, Black people, anyway, we trust, but we really don't trust. And so for mm -hmm. me, my grandmother, she always said, don't trust nobody. But I felt right. like being in the situation in the era in which I grew up in, mm -hmm. that I had to learn how to trust somebody. Um, because again, I didn't know everything. I didn't know about, like you said, managing funds and you know, real estate yes, investments and things yes. of that nature. I didn't know any of that. that mm -hmm. I didn't go to school for that. I didn't have a mom and a dad in the household to where I was taught that or I understood how to do that. Because of who I am in my career, I was able to somewhat pick up the pieces. Will I be able to replace the money that I lost? No. But at the end of the day, I mean, I get the jokes. People will say, oh, he's broke. He's this and that and the other. I'm not broke by any means. At the end of the day, I got God and I got Jesus. So I'll never be broke. So Amen. other than that, like I said, I'm doing, <laughs> I, trust me, I'm doing better than people think. So again, they can read the newspaper. They can read the internet, Google this and that and the other. But other than that, like I said, everybody's not fortunate enough to have the career that I did. And so everything that was lost or stolen, now I'm having to kind of figure out, okay, well, how am I going to maintain? So again, it, it, it hasn't been an easy road, but like I said, at the end of the day, by the grace of God, like I said, I've been able to be fortunate to establish the career that I had. And so even early on in my career, when I had no idea what I was doing as far as marketing and branding myself, 
Uh, <laughs> that again, that opened and enabled me to do a lot of things afterwards. But I think, you know, you were asking me, you know, what advice that I would give to anybody. And I think it's probably as simple as this, especially for these athletes. Don't give somebody the trust that they haven't earned. Mm. Don't give them the trust that they honestly, they haven't earned because we as athletes, we've worked so hard to get yeah. so far. And then you put the trust into really a stranger's hand because like I said, you, we obviously, we need agents, we need financial advisors, but again, we're only meeting them just because of what we do. Uh, we're hiring them to do a service. Uh, I think that's where we all fall short is because we trust them to do what we've hired them to do. And they take full advantage of that because they know that our attention span is going to be elsewhere. And that's really trying to be the best athletes that we can be. So we talked about the lows. Cheney, let's get to the highs because you also have had a lot of success. Mm-hmm. I think I might have been there when you got the popcorn from the cheerleader. But then there was the, the Sharpie and the, wait, was that, I was at one of those, the Sharpie in the uniform, right. the lifting weights in the driveway, the success that you've had and the antics right. that you brought to the game. Explain to people again, I know that's T.O., but in Terrell's mind, why were those things necessary? Um, For me, it was just me having fun and being creative with the game itself. And I started to learn that with basketball, all these sports, these business entities, it's a form of entertainment. What we do, we go out and we perform. And so I created and I try to treat myself as a performer outside of really doing my job. I know that fans, you know, like I said, to get into the end zone, and obviously there were people, there were guys and football players that danced in the end zone prior to me. Honestly, I just wanted to extend it on the tradition of doing that. And so obviously I got a little bit more creative. And for me, that was motivation to get in the end zone because obviously I knew that if I didn't get into the end zone, then all those dances that I had come up with or creatively, it just wasn't going to come in. It wasn't going to go anywhere. So I just tried to one-up myself and just try to have fun with the game. Um, especially you work so hard throughout the course of the week. Um, I think you deserve to celebrate. And so with me, everything that I did when I played, it was frowned upon. But look where we are now. Everything that I did that then was frowned upon is now being embraced. And that was a short... TikTok waiting to happen, weren't you? (laughs) Oh, trust me. You thought, man, they... Oh, man. I'll be a TikToking machine if I was playing right right now. (laughs) This whole quarantine thing has had everybody TikToking that probably would have never touched TikTok in a day in their lives. Myself included. (laughs) (laughs) Terrell, you know, you talked about all the highs and also the lows. Pretty much Lisa read all your highs, all those records, Hall of Famer. (laughs) And then also the lows. But in telling and sharing your story, which we're so grateful to hear, I'm just curious, how has your relationship been with your father since you've, you know, matured and, and had so many different experiences? There's nothing drastically that has changed. We did the show um, on own network uh, with a young fix my life. I was 39 then. So it was an emotional show hmm. that honestly, that was the first time that I had ever seen my mom and my dad sit down for more than a couple of minutes uh, with each other. Uh, Iyanla, um, she had all of us to ask some hard questions and we had to answer some hard questions and he made some efforts, I guess, uh, shortly after the show. Um, but nothing ever, like I said, drastically changed. I mean, our relationship hmm. is really no different than it was prior to. Understanding and, and hearing his answers as to why he didn't come forward um, th- at the time that he did, when I realized and found out that he was my dad, 
like I said, I don't fault him for it. I mean, I'm a grown man now. There's no really no reason for me to harbor any bad feelings or ill will towards him. I feel like what I didn't share or what I didn't go through with my dad, I'm able to now share that with my kids. And so knowing that they have a dad there, um, they can always pick up the phone and call me. And like I said, I told all of them, you know, my phone call away. I realized that, you know, and I tell the moms of my kids, like, you know, me going through some of the hardships and the hard times, you know, with my dad not being there, I share with them like, yo, if there's any events or anything going on, I have that relationship with them to where if they have something going on, we can talk about it. If I can't make it, then let me be the one to tell them that I can't make it because that's a bad feeling. That's a terrible feeling because there are so many times that he mentioned that he was going to do certain things or be some places for me and he never showed up. And so I never wanted to be that dad for my kids. So I tell them like, yo, we can talk about it. If I don't tell them personally that I'm not going to be there, then don't you tell them um, because they're going to have those high expectations um, for me to be there. And if I don't show up, then that's going to be a poor reflection of me uh, as a person and as a dad. So I never really wanted to put myself in that situation. Well, Tara, we really appreciate you joining us, even just opening up and letting people know the person that I know, the tarot that I know. Oh, that's all good. That's um, it? We're done? No, no, no. But before we let you go, oh, we got okay. some rapid fire questions for you. What's that? Okay. <laughs> I know you ain't done. Nah. Uh, so we got a few questions for you. Think about it real quick and uh, give us your answer. Okay. Here's the first question. Uh, what book do you have on your nightstand? Oh, what book do I have? I don't think I have no books on my nightstand. You don't got no book. I ain't got no books on my nightstand. We can get you some books on your nightstand. I we can no send book. you a couple. We can send audio you a couple. audio book. Man, no? that's hey, that's one thing I'm bad at. I'm bad at reading. Trust me, I go through the airport. I'll get some of these motivational books and I'm like things that'll yeah. look interesting, and then I start to read it and then I fall asleep. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe try audio books when you work out. Okay, okay? I'm gonna try that. I'm a substitute. What about TV show? What TV show was your show? Oh, my favorite is HGTV. HG? Really? Yep. My oh, favorite. Nice. Fixer Upper. Um, <laughs> Love It or List It with Dave and Hillary. Nazi. I, I watched all those. Oh, yeah. That's Fixer funny. Upper with uh, Joanna and Chip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Okay. I got another one. What is, and I can't wait for this one. What is your biggest splurge ever? Oh, money-wise, finance-wise? Biggest splurge? Oh, probably um, back in 04, I was in love with my girlfriend at the time, and I went to Tiffany's, and I bought a ring for 237000 What? Yep. On the spot. Why'd he do it? You did not ask me no advice about that one. <laughs> <laughs> I tried on the spot. Man, I was so head over here, man. I was like, oh, my God. Man, it didn't happen. And like I said, it wasn't her fault. It was my fault. It's like one of those times like you have. Did one, you get the ring back? That's yeah, my say, question. What happened to the ring? I ended up getting it back. We were cool. She understood. And I was very grateful for that. Because not too many, not, not too many girls would have done that. Women. Okay. Not too many women would have done that. I'll be correct. What are three things eight-year-old Terrell would have in his pocket? In his pocket? Yeah. Nothing. <laughs> Eight-year-old T.O. Terrell? Yeah. Absolutely nothing. You ain't got nothing? I wouldn't no, have had about? nothing in my pockets. Dang. Man. Okay. T, what is a talent that no one else knows you're good at? Oh, home decor, home design, like decorating. I bought this place here, and I literally I had a Pinterest board for every room. Uh-huh. Oh, nice. Yeah. Let me find out you on Pinterest. I am yes. on Pinterest. This room that I'm in now, it's like a bedroom slash office. So that's what I turned this into. 
Nice. Yeah. Okay. Who's the last person you kissed? Last person I kissed? Oh, man. I can't be revealing all that types of information. Man, uh, my daughter. Yeah, good answer. My daughter <laughs> And she gave me a cold, too. I'm sick. My throat is scratchy. You know, the kids, oh, they yeah. be picking up all We're going to come of- see you in 2021. 2020. Question. What song is stuck in your head right now? Oh, I like Sabrina Claudio. I, I listen to a lot of her music, Alina Baraz. I like chill music. Nice. Okay, here's our last question. What is your mantra that stays front and center in your life? When I reflect back on how I got to be a Hall of Famer, I guess it would have to be just desire, dedication, and discipline. Oh, the three Ds. I like that. Yep, desire, yep. dedication, and discipline. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Well, Terrell, you know, I got nothing but love for you, brother. I don't know how many years of friendship we didn't have, but it's been about 20. We thank you for coming on our podcast. And I know I agreed to come and check you out. So we're going to plug you right now because Get Your Popcorn Ready with T.O. and Hatch is your podcast show. Mm -hmm. And I told you I will come on as a guest. We'll chop it up some more. But we really appreciate you joining us on Front and Center. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Man, I really, really love the energy from Tia. That was so great. And I'm sad it's over because that's our show. Make sure you guys subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to any of your podcasts. Yes, and let us know what you guys think of our show. Keep it positive. If you don't like it, keep it moving. But we'd love to hear from you. It is up. I'm at Lisa Leslie on Twitter. I am at Chanae on Twitter. And you can also text me 281-248-8134. Or you can send both of us an email, our team, our squad, at frontandcenter at bluewirepods.com. That is frontandcenter at bluewirepods.com. We really encourage all of our listeners to email us. But that's our time. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.